The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31. And he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue... There was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of them, having done him no harm. They were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with, the author- for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. And when the sun was setting, all those who had um, any—I'm sorry—all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, "You are the Son of God!" But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the the other towns, from the, the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. God, we all come in many ways, like the people in this passage, eager for Jesus. We come here asking questions. We come here with our troubles. We come here wanting refreshment. We come here in joy. We come here in celebration. Each of us comes in different ways to Jesus. But today, just like the people in this passage, we are in need of Jesus. So I pray that you would come and by your Spirit, meet us and help us to taste of his compassion this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, I want to ask for some help here. Is anybody familiar with the term compassion fatigue? And does anybody want to answer what that concept is? Tired of being compassionate? Yeah, I mean, it's in the title, right? Um, anybody got a little bit more? <laughs> anybody, any, any thoughts on what compassion fatigue is when the weight of caring for other people becomes really heavy on yourself. That, that really captures the idea of what compassion fatigue is. Compassion fatigue is generally associated with kind of work or labor that your, whatever your work life is where it involves primarily dealing with people um, and that's beyond just kind of dealing with people as like salesman type stuff but like being your your person is being available to their their needs specifically their emotional needs um 
So compassion fatigue generally describes physical, emotional, and psychological impact of helping others, often through experiencing stress or trauma. I'm, I'm reading some medical definitions here, so these are not my notes. Compassion fatigue is often mistaken for burnout, which is a cumulative sense of fatigue and dissatisfaction. It is sometimes referred to as secondary traumatic stress. So compassion fatigue comes from when you are giving yourself for other people in a way that it is just becoming, like Rachel was saying, a heavy burden on yourself. And so when we come to this passage, I'm beginning to wonder, are we seeing compassion fatigue in the life of Jesus? Because here's Jesus um, giving himself for people. He's giving himself and his compassion for their needs. And yet here we find Jesus not being kind of taken down. Like the, we saw in that definition, like I referred to of burnout. I don't think we see Jesus burning out. And I think we'll get into, I don't think we're ultimately going to find Jesus experiencing compassion fatigue. But it's important to bring up that category because here Jesus is giving his compassion for other people at all, um, in all different types of ways. And we can kind of begin to feel like, well, does Jesus really have the capacity for me? Here he is giving himself for other people and it's clearly tiring him out. Does he have the space for me? As we're getting into this passage, what I want us to see is that we, as we were praying before, are to be like each of the people in this passage coming to Jesus. What we find with Jesus is that he's an infinite source of compassion for our particular needs. And he's an infinite source of compassion in such a way where he gives grace and he is himself not taken down by giving grace. He gives himself for other people, but he doesn't have like a savior complex where he has a complex about giving himself for other people. And we're going to find, at the same time, a pattern in Jesus and the way he gives himself for other people to set for us as we can give ourselves to him and experience giving compassion to other people. So here's what we're going to say the main point is. We come to Jesus, who is eager to give us his liberating compassion. So, as we work through this, we're going to kind of break the passage into three parts. We're going to see how Jesus gives with authority. We're going to see how Jesus gives with compassion. And we're going to see how Jesus gives with awareness. So we're going to start with the first one, verse 31. You guys, are we all together? We're good? Okay. As you can appreciate, my life in the last week was managing my children and work and bronchitis. I'm a little like, I don't know if the sermon makes sense, so I'm just going to need a little bit of some affirmation. <laughs> Jesus is giving with authority in verse 31 to 37. All right. He went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And when they were astonished at his teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in a synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. We're going to pause right there. So, here we have Jesus preaching in a public context. Very similar to this, right? Helping people understand the Bible, understanding who God is and what he's doing among them. He's doing this all the time. This, is a, uh, this would have been uh, probably Saturday morning. 
worship service for them. He's teaching. And then in the middle of that context, this person comes and yells over the whole, th- over the whole group so that Jesus has to pause and pay attention. I know who you are. Had you come here to destroy us? This would have been an unclean demon. Um, there's some thoughts on what that means, but I can throw that into the Q&A if you have questions about that. But hear this demon and saying, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you come here to destroy us? He's trying to do a power move on Jesus. He can recognize who Jesus is. He can recognize what Jesus is about. And he's trying to pull this name card out as a way of trying to shut Jesus down. Or in a certain sense, in the ancient world, it was understood that if you knew somebody's kind of like full name, there was a sense which you had authority over them. Right? Have you ever, like, I don't know if you grew up, but like when your middle name got thrown out, bro, it was about to go down, right? It was no good if your middle name got thrown. If, if I heard, especially my grandmother, Jacob Scott Young, yikes, okay, we're going back to Depression era Oklahoma. We're, it's about to get problematic. So, um, so here, this is effectively this demon trying to do that on Jesus. I know who you are. Have you come here to destroy us, to kind of shut Jesus' ministry down? And it's fascinating that Jesus, in response, is Jesus here to destroy the works of the devil? Yes, in a real sense, he is. He's just overcome Satan earlier in the chapter, right? He is here to not play around with demonic powers. But his focus, pay attention to what happens here next. The demon tries to make this between him and Jesus. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. It's fascinating that this demon tries to throw this power move on to uh, Jesus to try to tell tell him who he is and try to shut him down. And Jesus sees through the demonic powers to this man himself, to the man involved, right? I don't know if you've ever been around demonic work or if you've ever seen, like, you can imagine it's a very troubling situation where you're seeing, like, there's somebody who's possessed by a demon here. This is, like, no joke. And Jesus sees through all that drama to the man in the middle of the situation who's had no words of his own spoken and cares for him particularly. And when Jesus commands the demon to come out of him, he doesn't just kind of say it as like, get out of here. He emphasizes, come out of him, the, the person, the humanity, the personification, the person himself there, this man involved who's been oppressed by this demon. Jesus cares about him, and he cares about him in such a way, he says, be silent and come out of him. And there's this convulsing scene where this, this man gets thrown to the ground by this demon. And yet, at the end of this, you'll notice here at the end of 35, The demon had done him no harm. So here is this in this picture of this demonic opposition to Jesus. He cuts right through all of that to care for the person of this man, care for his humanity. He cares for him in such a way where he deals with this power that has overcome this man for who knows how long, preserves his humanity, and uh, cares about his dignity, And even as in this last act of defiance, this demon throwing him down to the ground, not hurt in the slightest, right? Not quite the same thing, but you know, like when people talk about, like, I was in a car wreck and I walked away without a scratch, that type of thing. Like, 
here is this car wreck of the spiritual dynamic in this man's life. And he walks away without a scratch. So then, and they all were amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out of them. And reports about when I went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now, basically, what happens in response to this is not only is Jesus proven to be like, wow, this guy really understands God's word and my life, and he preaches in such a way where I feel compelled to be a part of the mission of God. The people want to be a part of who God is. And yet, he also does it in such a way where the demonic powers are subject to his authority. So, in response to that, they were astonished in verse 32 with his teaching. And here they're astonished with his authority and power. See, when Jesus speaks with authority, he's not speaking with authority that is manipulative. He's not speaking with authority that is condescending or domineering. He's not speaking with authority that pushes people down, right, or is abrasive. Jesus speaks with an authority that empowers and cares about the humanity of the people around him. The people that he's there to save, he's not just kind of like another number, people saved, thanks, get, get, get on the bus, we're keeping this thing moving forward. He cares about the people involved. So when Jesus brings his authority into our lives, into your life, there may be ways in which each of us are um, not walking in the way of the Lord the way we should. And we can be afraid of this authority of Jesus coming into our lives and just basically like sucker punching us in the throat and being like, get in God's way, that type of thing. When Jesus comes into our lives to help us follow who he is and to heal us, he does it in a way where he sees our humanity and values us and brings his authority to understand and correct us into following his ways. Now, I want to keep moving forward. There's a lot of things I can say right here. If you have questions or something doesn't make sense, got that number right there, okay? So we're talking just briefly about his authority. Jesus is eager to give us his liberating compassion. We're going to see here more specifically his compassion and kind of this kind of like, you know, in like movies where they have like the like the montage of like all the things that go on and like the person's like, I don't know. Sorry, this is my life. I'm thinking of the montage from um, Kung Fu Panda where he's like having to learn how to be like a Kung Fu master and all that stuff. Sorry, I don't know if this makes sense. It, Maybe none of you have seen Kung Fu. Who's seen Kung Fu Panda? Okay, the right people in the room have seen Kung Fu Panda. No, okay. Uh, you know, like the montage scene? Like, this is kind of like that, where you see, like, a lot of different scenes going on. Whatever it is. Kung Fu Panda, in my mind. This is Jesus' moment, all right? Jesus giving with compassion, verse 38. And he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately he rose and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who were, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit of some feedback here, I'm not sure if we can fix that, um, with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also were coming out of many, crying, you are the son of God. 
but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So you can imagine, here's Jesus speaking in public, having this demonic opposition experience, and then he goes back to Peter's house, and Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law is there, and she's so sick that she's kind of like off in the back room, basically sleeping it off. And Jesus is so tired that he effectively, you can imagine the situation, he just like lays down in the recliner and just is like nodding off. And I get the sense that Jesus is so tired that he has no capacity to really see how like she's very ill. Because typically you would expect from the life of Jesus that when he picks up that Jesus, people are not well, he leans into that situation. He's so tired from everything that's gone on that he's just like laying down in the corner of the living room, like just trying to get a quick nap. In the midst of the situation, Jesus is so tired, and yet this woman and her fever, like it's not clear. And I will say like the the passage is a little kind of difficult to work with because it says that she has a high fever. So what does that mean? And then it says that Jesus rebukes the fever, kind of like a demonic situation. And it's like, okay, so is sickness demons? Like that doesn't feel like the Bible. Like I don't know what's going on here. It's not clear. But the important part is that Jesus expresses authority over this illness that she's experiencing, and she immediately feels healing. Healing in such a way where she's immediately like, hey, you guys, let's, let's get a snack together. Like, that sort of thing. Like, I don't know if you ever, like, I'm currently getting over this bronchitis thing. There is a no way in which I have capacity to kind of be like, hey, let's do some extra stuff, guys. Like, but here she's, uh, she's healed in such a way where she quickly wants to make a, a meal for them. And then sundown, you see, now when the sun was setting in verse 40, this would have been, so again, this is all still Saturday night, or Saturday, and um, so Saturday night would have been the end of the Sabbath, which is why it mentions that. So the end of the Sabbath would have been then when people could have gone out, because people would have been inside, right, not going out on the Sabbath day. End of the Sabbath, everybody runs, and I stumbled over reading this earlier, because it's, it is kind of clunky in how it's framed here, but all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them all to him, right? This is, uh, you know, like basically saying like, all y'all people come to him. Like the South has this great the y'all word that people don't use. Use guys is like the most the Northeast does. It's like, that's a lame word. Y'all, <laughs> y'all come. That's what this is. Everybody with every type of every need. They all came to Jesus with their with what they had going on. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's fascinating. Again, Jesus does not reply all. Like, I personally, if you know anything about me, I hate being on chain emails. Anything that's a reply all to me that somehow takes up brain space, I immediately start praying like for ways to get out of chain emails. Jesus does not reply all to everybody's needs. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now, you have to remember, this would have been in a Jewish context, so they were under the Jewish law. And so, at minimum, the people who had demonic experiences were people who were uh, no-nos to touch. And then you've got leprosy, you've got all different types of blood diseases, you've got all different types of things going on. And it says, basically, everybody with every type of need, every type of issue, they came to him, and he didn't just pronounce healing. Especially like you'll see this later when we get to the story of the lepers. 
if somebody with leprosy is touched, now you are unclean. So in Jesus' expression of his compassion for other people, he takes on touching each one of them, dignifying each person, right? Who knows how long it had been since they'd had some a friendly hand, a hug, any type of physical contact. Here he is. And it doesn't say which were the most extreme and which were the least, but we have kind of bracketed into each of these stories, right? Somebody who had a high fever and then people who have demonic experiences. You might say those are, those are pretty extreme ends of the spectrum. There's no sense of kind of like comparative suffering going on here. There's no sense of people having to kind of compete with what's going on of like who's suffering more, who's suffering less. But in each one, Jesus responds to each of their needs in a particular, intimate, humanizing way. Each one of them experienced Jesus personally. Like, can you, I, I just, I, there's a primary, I just, I can't begin to fathom all, all what this requires of Jesus to personally look at each person, to know their story, to know what their needs are, and then to respond, not just with like, I'm sorry, that's going on, which is kind of like the most that I can do, right? But he heals them. Jesus sees every ounce in every way in which we experience pain and sin and death. And each one matters to Jesus. And the response that this passage invites us into is just saying, Jesus wants us to come to him. Jesus wants us to come to him with every big, big thing, whatever you think of like, what, what are the top five big things going on? To the little things of like little annoyances, all that spectrum. Jesus invites all of those to come to him. He wants us to be near him so that he, who is the power of God, can give us his liberating compassion. Okay, we're going to end here with this little story here at the end. You guys cool? Tracking? Send any questions you got to the Q&A if you want. So we've talked about how Jesus gives with authority, and we've talked about how Jesus gives with compassion. We're going to kind of end here with Jesus giving with awareness. Okay, verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought, came to him, I'm sorry, the people saw him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of all Judea. Okay, so here we come to the what we started out by asking, is Jesus experiencing compassion fatigue? Is that what this is, right? Jesus is kind of like, I've had enough of y'all. I got to get away, blah, blah, blah. No, I, here's what I think is going. When we see here in verse 42, and when it was day, right, so five o'clock in the morning or whatever, he departed and went to a desolate place. This statement strikes me, and for various reasons, it happens regularly through the Gospels, so I, I feel very confident in saying this was a regular pattern for Jesus. 
in his ministry life and the way he understood himself and the way he managed his own soul's health, he regularly went and got away from everybody else to have solitude and silence away. Now, this wasn't like aggravated, like I can't stand people or people are burning me out. This was a regular pattern for him where he managed and cared for his own soul's health and kept his soul healthy by just regularly doing this. And what we find here in this particular situation is that he was interrupted. So this happens on a regular basis for Jesus where he gets solitude and silence with God. In this particular instance, he gets interrupted. People are so ecstatic about Jesus that they're like, Peter, where is Jesus? I don't know, man. Out by five o'clock this morning. Rise and grind, Jesus. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, Jesus is out the door. And uh, they're like, well, we got to go find him. So they go find him. And they're like, I mean, you can imagine. I hope you can appreciate. If you had somebody in your community who could heal every disease and who taught with power and authority, bro, why would you want him to go to another town? Like, we want universal health care. We got universal health care in the flesh right here, right? This guy is doing it, and it's personal, and there's no bill, right? Like, it's free. And he is very inspiring to hear, right? So let's keep this guy to ourselves. Why would he go to another town? And Jesus, what, I, what we find here in the pattern of Jesus' life, this solitude and silence is, in a certain sense, the bedrock of Jesus' spiritual health. Why was Jesus out here? Well, I, I think what we see here is just another iteration of what we saw at the beginning of chapter 4. Because at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus has just been baptized. Heaven, the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he goes out to spend time in solitude and silence in the desert for 40 days. This, again, I think is another iteration of that. I don't know if Jesus is fasting here, but he's living in the goodness of hearing very clearly from the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus goes to be alone so that he can hear from God. He goes to be alone so that he can get away from the clamor and the busyness of life so that his soul can be silent and still before God. See, Jesus, I mean, if you just kind of think about the last, even just chapter 4, right, up to this point, Jesus has been teaching in every town. He's been preaching in every town. He's been healing in every town. When he goes and tries to get rest, he gets interrupted. So there's a lot of demands on Jesus. He's giving a lot of himself. And the way he has self-awareness is to say, I need, as a regular practice in my life, solitude and silence with the Father so that I know who I am, and on what I'm doing, not being kind of controlled by other people's agenda for me, so that I know who God says I am, and I know what God wants me to do. I think this is something that we can learn from the example of Jesus. I think this is something where we suffer incredibly in our day-to-day. I mean, no offense, but I mean, I, I think... I'm not sure if Apple has designed this intentionally, but at like 9.30 in the morning, I get my morning up, my weekly update on how my phone usage has been this week. <laughs> they, 
some people are immediately feeling conviction right now, right? I don't know if your Android users do this too, but the, it, it tells me like, you've used your phone, you know, six hours every day this week, it, it, whatever it is. Like that to me shows me that I live in a life, I live a life that is cluttered and clamored by constant distractions. And it also is probably a re, re-engaged invitation from the Lord. Jacob, that's whatever with the phone. How are you getting personal time with me? How are you getting intentional solitude so that your soul can be refreshed with God? Can we throw out this quote from Ruth Haley Barton? Ruth Haley Barton has this quote uh, from several of her books. We'll get to this in a second. Most of us are more tired than we know um, than we know at a soul level. We are teetering on the brink of dangerous exhaustion, and we cannot do anything else until we have gotten some rest. We can't really engage with any spiritual disciplines until solitude has become a place of rest for us rather than another place for human striving and hard work. Right? The point that she's making is that we are exhausted at a soul level. I think many of us are. And we need to think of solitude and silence as not another like to-do thing, but as a place for us to pause and be with God. Ruth Haley Barton, she um, has a book called uh, Invitation to Silence and Solitude. The book's about 150 pages long. I'd recommend it. If you're not a book person, um, I just did this this morning on Spotify. So you can search Spotify, Ruth Haley Barton, search for her name and just type in solitude and you'll get some interviews with her where she does some breakdowns and interview context like this if you're like a podcaster galore person. It's a great way to get the content as well. But I think she puts her finger on this dynamic that we need to, please put that down. We need to um, experience with God solitude and silence. Now, here's a definition just so we kind of understand. Solitude is being alone with God. And silence is stopping our talking so that we can actively listen to God. So within that framework, what would it look like for you to, you can put a timer on your phone, 10 minutes. You can read through the Lord's Prayer, read a psalm, read a passage in the New Testament, something like that, just to kind of help kind of calm yourself down. And then just spend 10 minutes, right? God, what would you say to me right now? God, what do you want me to hear? 10 minutes of just a pause, God, how would you want me to be encouraged right now, right? This is not a moment for us to beat ourselves up about how little we pray or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about, right? God's heart towards us is just like Jesus, full of infinite, life-giving compassion for us, right? This isn't a time for us to tell ourselves, like, I should be doing something. That's not what this is. This is, God, you wrote, for example, in Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Right? This is a happy God who is happy to bless us and happy for us to be happy in Him. That is predominant, like one of the main things to be true. So what does it look like for us just to say 10 minutes, God, I want to hear your clear voice 
of grace, mercy, compassion, and love. For 10 minutes. What would that look like? How would that shape your soul so that less distracted each of those 10 minutes? And honestly, if you spend five of those 10 minutes like thinking about to-do lists, all you have to do is just be like, okay, I don't, I'm not thinking about that right now. Just redirect your thoughts back. You don't have to like beat yourself over the back. I'm thinking about my grocery list. So I'm supposed to be thinking about God. Like that, okay, just, just 10 minutes. God, what does it look like for you to be, for me to experience your voice of love? Another thing on this, just to kind of throw this on your, your radar, we'll talk about this at the family meeting. Um, this one of, uh, at some point this year, we haven't set a, a date for this, Peter's going to lead a one-day um, spiritual retreat course. So that will be a morning to dinner time-ish sort of thing. We're going to talk about options of what that could look like, but it's so that we can facilitate this very type of thing as a practice for us as a community together. What would it look like for God to give you a day where you can have, be guided through that to say, God, I, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your compassion for me. I want to hear your mercy. I want to hear your direction. I want to experience you. So that's coming. We'll talk about that at the family meeting next week. I don't know if we mentioned a family meeting next week after church, pizza. We mentioned that. Sorry, I was otherwise disturbed. So here we have in the life of Jesus. All right, we're, I'm going to close with this, right? We're going to close with, with Jesus here. We have this kind of overview of Jesus' day. And here he is giving himself. And yet in the midst of giving himself for all of our all the compassion and needs that are surround him and that we come to him with, he also sets within that an example for us to come to him. He not only wants us to be like the people in the passage, he wants us to follow his example so that we are eager to experience his liberating compassion. Let's pray. God, as we've looked at this passage and done our best to understand it, I pray that you would help us. Would we be people who experience you and hear your personal care for each of us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.